Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Selective Hearing. I am your host, Julie DeMar, and this week I am here with special guest Saloni Sarah. We are going to have a conversation about how to break generational trauma cycles. We are actually going to break down what generational trauma cycles actually are. Before we get into this conversation, I would just like to say hello and thank you for being here. Hello, thank you for having me. <laughs> would you mind like uh, sharing with the audience a little bit about yourself and how you specifically became focused in something like generational trauma and um, how to break those cycles? Sure. So I have a bit of a mixed uh, background. So I'm a HIV sexual health consultant over in well UK Ireland, but I'm also an author and a coach. And as you can see, my heritage is Asian Indian. Growing up and certainly in my older years, it became really apparent that a lot of the generational family stuff was playing out in my life. And at the same time, I was working in a background where I was seeing it play out in a lot of my patients' lives, that generational trauma and upbringing, how it was directly affecting them. You know, I was working in Ireland at the time, doing a PhD in HIV and drug use, looking after a very mixed cohort of patients, which I'm very blessed to do. But it was really like the universe was showing me both in my life and other people's lives how this was affecting us. I know that discussing generational trauma, it can be a very difficult thing because it's not just centered in one thing. There's so many different things that contribute to it or that define it. It's a very, very broad statement, if you will, that houses many different things. So I would just say like, what are like common generational traumas that you feel people suffer from Right. Yeah. So I'm not, you know, by no means an expert. And, and as you say, it's a very broad field. Certainly my personal experience has been um, inequality based on gender. But I've also seen a lot with trauma, kind of sexual trauma, physical trauma, in ill health, financial issues, relationship issues, playing out in, in, you know, people that I've looked after as well. It can present in very many different ways and obviously is, is different for each family. You know, there are themes, so, you know, sexism, you know, trauma, be it sexual or, or physical that's passed down, um, PTSD, fight or flight, losing a parent and the impact that has on a child that's young and how they go on to parent their their own children in the future. When I started exploring it, I didn't even realize how deep it was. It's like a big pot of soup that you just keep throwing different ingredients in. How many different things can be involved in that soup? Like a lot of people don't know that like financial abuse is a thing or, you know, like sometimes our minds only let us go so far and we think maybe trauma is associated with physical trauma or like you said, sexual trauma or even Things like, oh, yeah, my mom yelled a lot or my dad yelled a lot or, you know, my parents were bullies in certain ways, but they don't like see that it could be, again, financial or sexist or or, or things of that nature. So that's why I was like, it's like a giant pot of messy soup. <laughs> but can you, for yourself and hmm. your experience, define when we say generational, what that means? Like, what does it mean by passing these things through? So in, in my view, it's something that's passed down from parents or grandparents, or it could be going back, something that's been repeated time after time after time in family members. Or it may not even have been repeated in the generation before you, but that 
trauma or the impact of that is still playing out in you, maybe from three or four generations past. And, and like you say, money, financial is a big thing. You know, financial control is certainly something that's been used that I've experienced. And I know that I'm not the only one of, of you know, we'll use money to control and manipulate. It is tricky to narrow it down. But certainly if there's trauma in the family, it gets passed down, it impacts, you know, there's no way it, it can't. So if it's financial and somebody's terrified of, or they've made a bad financial mistake, you know, generations back, that that can impact how they raise their children and, and relationship with money, for example, and, and how their children's children have a relationship with money and how they will take risks or how they view it. Money is another relationship, relationships we have with our children and our parents. And, you know, it can be a toxic one or we can, have unhealthy relationships and be the unhealthy partner in that. What's I mentioned so sexism and you know certainly my family we don't talk about that that's the way it is and we don't talk about it and you know there's a lot of wonderful things about Asian culture culture but there's a you know a lot that's just not spoken about or there's not that much equality which is incredibly sad. Power imbalances you know and again you know money, sexual trauma, sexism you know it's all imbalance of power essentially. You know, I worked as a sexual assault examiner for a bit, seen a lot of sexual trauma, abuse and, you know, assault and how that, you know, that impacts people afterwards. And then as they raise their own children, that fear in their lives, the relationships that they have with other people that then gets passed down because our children copy our relationships and, and how we talk and how we speak. And they're just sponges. They pick it up. Even if you think they don't, you know, they do. But like you say, we, we have to have coping mechanisms to live through that. So a lot of the time we will suppress it. And it's only when we're older. And in my case, I was single for a very long time and wanted a relationship, but it became really clear that this was really impacting me and my self-esteem and, and belief and stopping me from having the partner I wanted and the children and the family that I wanted. That um, brings me to something that I was like looking in our package notes and I was looking at our pre-show notes and I was like, when you were speaking about that, I quoted you actually in our pre-show, you mentioned how things from childhood can manifest into your relationships in adulthood. And so now I kind of want to just circle back to what you said and have you elaborate on that a little more because in my own personal relationship, how many things that were modeled to me that I reenacted, I will say, when it came to just even having conversations. That's a really, really big thing. Yeah, so I'm actually gonna start, not with my family, but um, my husband is Italian, and we were out the other week with an Italian playgroup. One of our friends had another baby, and they had family members over, and it was so funny, because the husband said to me, well, you know what it's like in, in Italian culture, you know, that the men sit and relax, and the women are doing everything, and the cooking, and the cleaning, and you know, we were talking about them coming over, and helping, because they'd had another baby, and they had an older one, and all that transition period. So it's so funny how that's so deeply ingrained and accepted because that's very much you know in some ways the Asian culture or, or certainly what I've experienced and you know it's, it's tough for me to talk about this because it's not something you know I've spoken about a lot with friends and with, with family members we don't talk about it that's the way it is and we don't talk about it and I'm somebody who very much will name things but going back generations and my ancestors what they used to do was marry the women off to less well-educated men you know that was a form of control because if they were married off to less well-educated men they generally were not as well off financially and so they were treated as inferior essentially so the sisters and their children were treated as inferior to the brothers and their children 
and it was it's very clear growing up and, and it was so funny how as a child you're aware of it but you don't verbalize it and vocalize it and one of the saddest things about that is is the perpetuation by other women and that's what we see a lot is that you know well i'm married to the, the man and one of the brothers and you're one of the sisters grandchildren so you know you're inferior to me know your place and how quickly as a child you pick that up and you do know your place and how then that plays out so for me as an adult in my 20s 30s i struggled with relationships because inherently I didn't think I was good enough. Now I was educated, I went to private school, I worked hard. In my mind, I was the independent woman, but I still didn't have the loving relationship that I wanted. I was petrified of it. And, and I self-sabotaged, you know, with relationships and with men inherently because I didn't think I was good enough. So it goes back to that of, you know, not well-educated men and how that played out generations later, which is, you know, incredibly sad. It took me a long time to realise that. How do you move forward? What do you do? Which is one of the challenges when you, you know, what, what I really wanted was to be married with children. And, you know, I'd been single for a very long time, was stuck in a rut and had moved country thinking, oh, the location will change it. But it didn't because you know you still have the same problems you're just somewhere else essentially i did a, a interview not that long ago and it was about bridging if you can the cultural gaps <laughs> in families my guest was asian american and we in that conversation unpacked, unpacked so much and it was amazing how many similarities asian culture has to black american culture and it just kind of reiterated that whole, we are all connected as people and these things that are kind of indoctrinated in us and the way that we're conditioned, how they play out. And like the, what happens in this house mentality, what I call it, keeping everything, keeping your business in your home, keeping things very quiet. We don't talk about anything, sweeping everything under the rug and just moving on no matter, you know, the, the harm that that can cause. That is a huge thing in our culture. It's amazing to me when I hear other people say like, Hey, like I went through the exact same thing because then like in my heal the world efforts, <laughs> it makes me be like, okay, you, you see like the connection here everybody you see how we we all have you know shared experiences or you know these these commonalities no matter where we are i love the fact that we are opening up the floor for these type of discussions that promote forward movement no matter how uncomfortable they are because they're relevant to more than just us i i just i absolutely like i really enjoy that i mean it's all about power and balances and imbalances and, and control you know which is a shame it's a shame that it's that way it's a shame that you know the experience of being guilted and shamed into being silent is such a powerful tool that we use. And that just, I think, makes it so much worse because it pushes it into the shadows. It's this dark monster. And actually, I started writing a book about it called The Monster in My Family because it, well, it is like this dark monster in the family. And how many families have these monsters there that we're all petrified and controlled of, but we don't talk about it. We don't name it. We pretend it's not there. If we just talked about it, that would open up so much healing and freedom. I mean, it, it doesn't happen straight away, but the being as you say, silenced. And, you know, 
seen it with partners being silenced, not being allowed to speak, being guilted, being shamed. You haven't done anything wrong. You know something's wrong. You just want to be heard. You want it to be different. You understand that you're not going to be able to change what's happened or, or the past. But how do you move forward and have the life that you want, the relationships that you want, and for your children to not grow up with you saying, you know, that's really it for me. I certainly don't want my children to be knee deep in the pea soup from, you know, my grandparents or my parents or my great great grandparents. You know, I want them to go out and live their lives and have healthy relationships and be happy in whatever way, shape or form it is for them. So what are some of the things that you did? This would be like a double edged sword. Like first that moment, like, okay, like, yeah, I want to have a relationship, but I want that relationship to be healthy. I want to be a mom and I want my relationship with my children to grow them in a way that's so different than the way I grew up. Like, so what was that like for you? And what were the things that you did to kind of stop the the trauma cycles? So obviously I'm going to start by saying times are different. And obviously, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, it was much more about putting food on the table. And I think now we are much more aware of the emotional side and the mind-body impact and all of that. So I just want to preface that because, you know, everyone is doing their best with whatever tools that they have. For me, it started with just standing back and going, okay, there's an issue here. I'm the common theme. So I, you know, I could have carried on for another 10 years going, oh man, this, that and the other, repeating what had been fed to me about men and relationships and not being there. But instead I stood back and went, okay, this is where I am. This is what's happened. Um, these these relationships of men haven't been able to give me what I need, what I deserve. There's something here that's me. You know, it's me. I'm the common theme here, not them. So I actually took time out and I did a lot of inner work. And, you know, not saying that this is the pathway for everybody, but I went and did some Reiki and meditation and, you know, crystal healing classes I tried a lot of stuff so I moved to Ireland which was really an impetus for me and I went because I was in a rut so I had an opportunity to move work wise I knew I was in a rut and I I just knew I needed a change and that meant I tried a lot of stuff that I wouldn't have because I didn't have a friendship network and you know when you move country you're more open to things focus was on trying to meet somebody but the more I dialed the more I thought oh god this is not good um you know and I then had to make that decision that I wasn't going to date for a while and try and clear some of this it got worse before it got better you're used to living with those situations and those power imbalances and they got recreated in other aspects of my life you know it's not to point fingers but just to say you know I I see that and and that's how powerful the impact of it is, is that you do keep on recreating it. So what I did was I tried Reiki, I did a lot of healing, I did a lot of affirmation work, Louise Hayes work, breathing, meditation. More recently, I've done EMDR therapy. Lately, picked up somatic exercises. There's some brilliant people doing that on um, Instagram. And I think one of the big things is just talking about it, starting those dialogues. And it may well be, or it probably isn't going to be with the families. By talking about it, and getting it out it's so powerful you know and at some points there are discussions to be had with family members often they get shut down but I think every time you talk you change it you open up the pathway to move forward with it for me it's also talking about it to my children they're very young it's not about bad mouthing people but I think it's about being open when you make a mistake or you do something that you don't want to do or you've unintentionally disempowered them and also reflecting I have a son and daughter and you know a lot of times I said to my husband my gosh am I favoring 
you know, him over her. And he's like, no, you're overthinking it. That plagues me. That would happen. That's so embedded in me. So those are a lot of the, the tools I've used. I also do a lot of emotional freedom technique tapping. So I've done a lot of that. It works on acupressure points. So it's a really great tool that anybody can do, which is brilliant about it. And I like to do that when I'm walking. So I, I'm a walker and now I have a car, but I didn't have a car for a long time. And I would do that when I was walking to the tube or to the bus. Um, people probably thought I was crazy, but for me, it's really good because I get to speak and I'm, you know, I'm tapping away on the, the acupressure points, you know, the, the collarbone and then under the nose and under the chin. So I found that really effective. And as I moved on, I um, got trained in this modality called evolutionary meditation, which is basically voice dialogue and shadow work. And what was so powerful about that was putting connecting into them as voices that we all have, like controllers and protectors, and how they can be quite subvert in keeping us safe. Because, you know, they know how to live. We've, we've had 30, 20, 40, however many years living with that. But living without it is how do you move on? And so in a way, the past or that pattern is easier to live with then could I actually have a relationship where I'm nourished could I actually believe that I'm good enough and I deserve that how would that feel that doesn't feel safe so that for me was really helpful with them picking some of that and just owning some of that shadow stuff and I think just owning it makes that monster in the family and in the corner a lot less powerful as I was look listening to you and reading I was just thinking about like how I said in here um it's challenging to address it because like I, I love circling back to what you said in the beginning is you had to like be honest with yourself and recognize like, hey, like I'm the problem here or, you know, I have some things going on. I think that's the hardest thing. I know for me, that was the hardest thing to do is to like look at myself and say, you are not okay. This is what you have going on. Now what's next? It's really tough. It, it really is, especially if you're on your own. So, you know, I, I look at and I say this to my husband a lot, if I look at a lot of those patients I looked after who were drug users, what chance do they have? They've grown up with parents in certain ways. You know, I've had some where they've been shooting machetes as, as children or been given sleeping tablets as very young children. What chance do they have? That's their parents, the environment, the area they live in, everyone's like that. There's no financial support, there's no emotional support. They're totally on their own. You know, for somebody to break out of those patterns is, is tough with those circumstances. But even with the best one in the world, it can be challenging. It can be done. I think, you know, it's like you say, the first step is looking at it and admitting it and going, oh gosh, this isn't nice. And then finding people, the right people who that can support you. And it doesn't have to be paid. It can be groups, similar people in the same situation. I mean, obviously there are people that you can pay and work with, but you know, I think that's the first step, you know, being open and honest, which is tough and which a lot of people don't do. So if that is you out there doing it, I'm saluting you today because it's not easy. <laughs> no, you know. there's a lot of challenges in it. I was having a conversation and what was said to me was like, it took a lot of years to get to this place and it will take a lot of time and years to move away from it and along the way you will experience challenges a lot of challenges triggers <laughs> you know like I kind of want to get your your take on that on handling triggers uh, you're absolutely right it's challenging but there's also beauty in the journey and I think it's about finding what helps you you know, so it's those tools and, you know, can you stop on the edge and go, okay, I'm triggered. This is really uncomfortable, but can I stand back and go, I'm triggered. And what is it that gives you nourishment and helps you come out of that? So, you know, 
a simple thing and you know i say this to my husband and and you know my children breathing it's such a simple thing that we just don't do and you know sometimes if you can get them to do it or if you, you can do it within a minute or two it can really just bring you back now i write and so that's one of the things that really helps me is writing i do write non-fiction but i often turn it into fiction so i write kids stuff but some of it's quite dark themes so one of the books i'm just finishing is about fairies and in friendship but it's also about bullying and a fairy losing her wings and imbalances of power so you know that's quite a bit of my story weaved in there i also did this great thing called vedic art which is a course in dublin um, and they run it all over and i think there's a standard price and it you know i always thought gosh you have to be an artist to be able to do these things and it's not about that it's about just getting you to paint what's inside you so they give you these little exercises and you paint and you you know I did it over a weekend I found that really wonderful for helping me to just clear and release and but also be a bit creative so I was being productive so I think it's tough to learn the things that actually are I'm triggered and to stand on the edge of that and you know many people don't master that but if you can and if you have the support if you're able to write down that when I'm triggered, I'm all over the shop and I feel really low and I whinge a lot or I don't sleep. If you can stop at that point and go, what are the things that would make me feel better now? Then that's going to bring you out of it much quicker and be able to go, right, this is how I move forward. I'll say when I'm triggered, I feel rage. I know that that's what's going on because I get this overwhelming feeling with like, I need to react. I have to like pull myself back all the time. Like, and it's because I lived in a very reactive environment. Everything was very physical. Everything was very brutal, you know? So it was like when I started recognizing that, cause I didn't even know for a long time that I was doing it. And then like, I started recognizing like, this is okay. That's what I do when I'm triggered. I re I become very reactive and my responses are very big and emotional. So it's like pulling myself back in those moments and sometimes you know i fall short but then there was another learning thing that i want to share with everybody is in those moments when i fell short i had to learn to give myself grace hmm. because i would guilt myself for having those moments where it was like okay i was triggered i handled that trigger very very poorly and then because i handled it poorly i beat myself up so bad and i was just like down on myself for days and days and days so now it's like, okay, you had a bad day. Yeah. That's that's where the the talk came in with me a while ago. Like, hey, it took time to get here. It's gonna take time to get out. And I want you guys to remember that. And um remember like just for me, what I've learned is grace, giving yourself grace, saying it's okay, finding out why you couldn't pull yourself back in those moments and learning how to work through those things, redirect that energy to finding a solution for that instead of beating yourself up, because then you won't be able to pull yourself out of that either. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's really lovely of you to be open about that, you know, and I think you're so right. In so many families, we learn to be reactive. And I've seen that time and time again with, with a lot of my patients that something bad happens and they're coming in screaming and shouting, but that's what we've learned. And it's challenging to undo that. So I think being aware of it, like you say, accepting there's a journey, accepting it's not always going to be like that. And, you know, sometimes anger could be quite powerful because sometimes it's it's your body saying something somebody's done something wrong something wrong has happened you know the, the flip the rage where it's out of control that's you know kind of not okay but but like you say sometimes it happens have the grace and, and it's a journey so i would love to talk about because i just thought this was like so amazing 
and you brought it up, but like, let's circle back to it and talk about the children's books that you write and why you chose to write children's books. Well, it's, I don't just write children's, but I've got a backlog. So I'm working on the kids at the moment, but I actually started when I started doing my PhD. And I used to write years ago in school, but life and medicine and exams and night shifts got in the way. I think when I was doing my PhD, it was tough, but I was able to manage my time more. So I started to write. I was doing a lot of scientific writing and you know, it's great, but it's very formulaic. This is the hypothesis, this is the introduction, this is the method, this is the aims. And so I just started writing about dragons and fairies. My first one, I haven't I've got to go back to, I am redoing or just finished yesterday the second. And the reason I bring it up is, is because, you know, it's a really magical book about the friendship between a fairy and a human girl when the forest is a threat, but it's also, you know, about bullying and having your wings taken away and being grounded. You know, this is something that I've experienced in my life in, in different ways, you know, so it's not for me to say this person did this or that. It's like, it's happened. I've moved on, but this was a pattern. And also I think for so many of us, we are grounded at so many points in our lives or, you know, somebody's tried to take our wings and say, you can't do this or you can't do that. That's the one that will be coming out in the new year. There is a fairy's had her wings taken, wings are at risk, and you know, there's massive power imbalances. There is a lot of forgiveness in that book. So it's not just about the power imbalances, it's the coming back from that and the speaking up and the forgiveness. My first book is a more fun book for younger kids about a girl detective in Italy has to find a missing gold egg laying chicken. So that's a real fun book with a flying boat and a flying dancing cheese eating pirate. Ultimately, it's a young girl whose dream it is to be a detective and a famous successful detective. And she's reaching for her dreams. And you know, she keeps on going. She just, she keeps on battling and facing her fears to get there. And I suppose I just want to inspire children. I was very blessed in the job that I did. Very blessed I met so many people and it was a real honor to look after the people that I did. You know, it was an honor. It was a challenging job emotionally. You know, I think the thing for me is, is that I love the transformation. And with a lot of those individuals, by the time they were with me, you know, things weren't really going to change. And, you know, there wasn't, huge amounts that could be done you know with with the sexual health side sometimes there was a bit more that could be done and you could look at you know interpersonal relationships and and help them to move on so i really just wanted to inspire and i, I love the transformational element so the you know the theme of you know go for your dreams and encouraging children to do that and you know just keep on going and yes you might have to face those fears but you will get there you can do it you know anybody can do it and I feel like children are the hope for reshaping the future <laughs> and putting a stop to a lot of the things that we were subjected to. So I think that it's like really beautiful that you took everything in your life and said, hey, I'm going to write, but I'm also going to write books that inspire children so that they can be confident and strong and independent and, you know, resilient and all these great things that we need to carry into the future so that some these things, like I said, can be broken and there's there's a different, beautiful perspective. Like Absolutely. I mean, in the fairy book, there's a lot of grief and there's a lot of sadness. And, you know, I think also, you know, it's okay. Like, you know, everybody's not up all the time or happy all the time or positive. So, you know, I think it's it's really important that we do honor those phases and what we've been through and the grief and have that space to speak, you know, in downtime because 
as you probably know, a lot of people don't want to talk about that stuff. Now I'm somebody who's pretty much heard everything. So not a lot shocks me, but you know, I think it is important to have those conversations and, you know, see, like you say, we may be in different countries with different backgrounds, but the themes are still the same. You know, we, we've still had this, we still want better for our children and also not just for our children, but for all children and, and you know, that everybody gets help and support that they need and, you know, is able to be them and, you know, have their wings and reach for their dreams, you know, and, and have healthy, empowered relationships. That's really the thing. You know, I, I want my children to have healthy, empowered relationships and to say no if something's making them uncomfortable and you know to do that now that's for me an incredible thing you know it's something that i didn't get so it's like a bit of sweet in, in a way but it's a beautiful thing to see children doing that and you know that gives us all hope for the future i think how much of your experience as a doctor and with some of the things that i know you said you've heard it all <laughs> Um, how much of that influences your books? Probably quite a lot of it in there because everything forms you. So every, you know, every experience forms you and shapes you. And I do have some adult stuff, but might take me a little bit of time to get to. I've seen and heard it all. I've had a lot of fun with people. Um, probably not so much certainly in the Flora, the Flying Detective. So that's Flora Investigates, Case of the Missing Gold Eggs. A little bit more on my Flower Fairy, The Last Fairy Guardian. I do have a YA mermaid one, which is a lot darker. And then there are some adult ones. And there's some medical writing there that I hope to put out at some point, which is a lot darker. But you know, the themes are the same and balances the power and relationships. They're common themes that we all experience in life, you know. I would like to ask before i get into hmm. the big show question because i always ask the big show question would there be any like misconceptions that you would like to clarify like if you had to give someone advice and, and clear up things as it relates to generational trauma what misconception would you clarify so i you know i was thinking about this you know i don't know we always say in medicine, there's never, never, and there's never an always. You know, when you're doing a multiple choice question, there's never, never, and there's never an always. And I kind of feel that way about this. You know, I I can talk about my experience as, as a woman growing up in this culture, and that, you know, clearly it's in a lot of other cultures. And I could talk about what I've seen in patients of mine with relationships and drug use and Ill, Ill health. And clearly that's come down or when people have worked in the door and you've gone, okay, this is somebody who's very clearly been sexually abused as a child or has been sexually assaulted at some point. And it's a power imbalance. I suppose you never really know what's gone on in a family, but I kind of want to say there's never and never and never and always, you know, there's no, there are always exceptions to the rules. And so, yeah, not really in a roundabout way. <laughs> um, you know, I think there's lots of different ways it can play out, whether it's ill health or financial issues or families at war, which is what I've seen a lot of, you know, brothers and sisters divided, aunts and uncles divided, aunts and nieces and nephews divided, you know, families at war, not talking to each other, massive imbalances, money issues, power imbalances, and the relationship stuff. Sorry, yeah, in a roundabout way, no. <laughs> I just I just wanted to ask. So my big show question which mm. I've already asked you twice already, but I love the fact that this answer could change today because <laughs> yeah. So what does selective hearing mean to you? So to me, selective hearing is, you know what, we could both be sitting here listening or watching the same TV program and the message that you hear and the message that I hear could be totally different because what's meant for you or what's in, up for your life at that time or for you, what's shaped you through your life and experiences 
it's totally different in a way to, to what shaped me. And even hearing or reading, hearing the same thing or reading the same thing, you could both interpret it totally differently. And you know, that's a wonderful thing, but it's kind of, even though we're watching the same show or, or having the same conversation, what we both take home might be different, but what we take home is what we need for us. I like that. You're the first person to say that. Oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> I get a lot of answers that are similar, but, but yeah, I actually, I really, really like that. That's a first. How can the listeners contact you? If they want to ask questions or yeah. they need any kind of support or resources from you. Oh, great. Um, yeah, I love to be contacted. Um, so there's a couple of different ways. I have a website, selenisira.com. I think you, you can contact them there. My husband did that one. I'm also on Facebook, selenisira author, Instagram at selenibook, and I'm on TikTok. I think it's at selenis. And I will be doing a YouTube channel because I do um, read aloud kids' books, well, actually poems as well. So that's my next job. I probably will, you know, restart up my coaching at some point you know as you as you know young kids and bits it's it's tricky to, to juggle um and i might as i move forward do a bit more of the tapping and and the other stuff um but yes website and i'm on all the, the normal channels basically <laughs> and all of that information will also be listed in the show details and it will be listed on here we go again everyone selectiveperryshow.com now has a resource page so if you go to my resource page, you can connect with the guest and you can reach out and ask any kind of questions that you need for support. So thank you for being here and having this conversation with me. Oh, thank you so much. It's been um, lovely. And I don't know whether I've delved into it tons, but I hope it's given people food to thought and ideas of how they can move forward you know just to know that there is support and that they can move on and that it really can transform future generations you know there are a few other things that i did try ancestral healing some shamanic work um but you know what what's right for me isn't right for you know for you so it's really about um i think the first step is getting clarity and thinking taking that space and time to think because so often we don't yes and take that ask yourself what do you need and then take time to listen and then go to my research page and contact <laughs> so that you can if you do have any more questions you can definitely get them answered so um i'll be back next week until next time this is selective hearing